0: Well, first of all, I want to say to the people sitting on this side of our space here, I appreciate your courage and willingness to resist peer pressure (laughs) and sit over here where everybody else is too weak to actually do this sort of thing. So I want to thank you all for stepping up to the plate here, all right? (laughs) And Ugo, welcome back. Even though you chickened out and followed the crowd over here, it's good to have you back here with us. (laughs) Now... Uh, I, want, I want to begin. I want to tell you one of my my pet peeves about preachers, and that's, you know, preachers who tell stories about their children. So having said that, let me tell you a story about one of my kids, all right? No, actually, tell stories about your kids if you want to. That was not that big of a deal. Some of you have had class with me. I've heard this, but it's a great story, so I want to tell it again. Most of you know that uh, the Miller family lived in East Africa for almost 20 years, uh, I still wear the clothes from there, and so on. Uh, three of my children were born there. Uh, three of our kids grew up, went through school a whole bit there, and so on. Well, when we'd come back to the U.S., you know, we'd been gone three or four years, and this is pre-Internet days when we first got started and all. So we get back, we'd go to my wife's family in Alabama because there's space in their mother's house for us to, you know, all stay and this sort of thing. But we'd have to drive to Ohio to see my family, and we had people in Virginia to visit, and People in Texas, and what that meant is we'd get back and we'd spend six weeks in summer heat driving interstate highways. And so I thought the first time we came back, I think I'm going to introduce my kids to some of my music. So th- using the choice technology of the day, you're laughing because he listens to all my videos I create for classes, which it's all all full of my music. Anyways, I thought I'm going to introduce the kids to the Beatles because that's the music I grew up with. So I recorded some stuff again on the the cutting-edge technology of the day, which was these little audio cassettes. In fact, I saved one one tape that I just devoted to Yellow Submarine because I knew you're driving all those miles on Interstate in the summer. Surely you're going to get caught in construction and get stuck in the heat with small kids. And what's more entertaining for small kids than trying to hear Ringo Starr sing Yellow Submarine? And it worked. Well, one time we came back, and I hadn't decided what I was going to do. Now, at this pace, we're up to the CD era okay? So I grew up in a small town in Ohio. My grandparents, the dad's side, lived about a mile away. You have a place, a family place that was sort of, this is the house. Typically, for some reason, it's grandparent's house. This is the place where we all gather as a family. You know, Sunday afternoon, that was always where lunch was. And as kids, it was miles away. So we get up, brother and sister, and I ride our bicycles out to our grandparents' house and spend Saturday there or after school or whatever. Well, Grandparents' house, second place, really, I grew up, second home to me. My grandfather always listened to big band music. So I got up listening, if you know this, Glenn Miller. We called him Uncle Glenn because we're Millers, too. Uh, Artie Shaw and these sorts of folks. And I thought, I'm going to introduce my kids to this music. So, you know, we're back in the States for a couple days. We're getting ready to drive up to Ohio the next day. And I'm in a CD store. This is a new thing for us coming back from Kenya. And I find a CD of Glenn Miller. So I buy it, you know, and the next day we're setting off on the interstate, stick this in the CD player in the car because we have a fancy used car. We're driving it with a CD player in it, (laughs) all this sort of thing. And I can see in the rear view mirror mirror, my oldest daughter, who was 14 at the time, sitting in the middle of the back seat. I put this in, if you know the music, I think it was in the mood or something. And as soon as the music starts, you know, you can see her, there's concentration going on, you know. You see her kind of eyes go like this, and she's, The head starts to turn and about, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds into the song, she goes, you can't, you can see, wheels are still turning. You can't, you can't not dance to that music. My One of my proud parent moments, I thought my little girl in that short of time has captured in one sentence what this music is all about. Now, you may not know big band music or Glenn Miller, or any of this stuff. Maybe the music that's been part of your life has a Latin flavor to it. You know what I'm talking about. You can't not dance to that music. Or maybe you're from an African-American tradition, and anybody thinks you have music that you just can't dance to has never been to church with you. Because when you get in church, you can't not dance to that music. All right? So you know what I'm talking about, even if it's not the same music. There's music you hear and you think it. Just can't not dance to that music. Now, we're in the middle of what I call the Holy Spirit semester here at Asbury. It's uh, Our theme is the Spirit-filled life. And for so many of these sermons, the source has been the book of Acts. Dr. Tennant has gone to the book of Acts for his sermons on that. He'll be here Tuesday, 5 o'clock for chapel, preaching from Acts again. Now, we do that because birthed at Pentecost, the church we find in the book of Acts is taken as a paradigm for what a spirit-filled church should be. Now, in our day and age, when we talk about world Christianity, because over the last century, the gospel has spread to almost every nook and cranny on the planet, we talk about Christianity in this in this broad global sense, world sense, in, in all its crazy varied manifestation as Pentecostalized. That is, it takes on so much of the characteristics of this first post-Pentecost church that we find in the book of Acts. Now, I pulled out this passage today from Acts 13 because this is just such a paradigmatic passage that describes this church. If you take my class, which or no, let's say it this way, when you take my class on the book of Acts, We will do this. We will look through these passages where Luke describes the church. And what you consistently find is they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting. I mean, you'll have this episode where they go out and preach, and some of them get thrown in jail or whatever. And when that episode sort of winds up, he'll give us this sort of snapshot. And they were here praying, or they were there worshiping and praying, and so on. But he just keeps looping back to the church, and this is what's true of them. So what we find here at the beginning of Acts. 13 isn't anything usual. That's just what you find consistently to be true of these people. You find it corporately. You find it true of individuals. Peter is, before this whole episode with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he's up on a roof praying, which tells us from Florida that it wasn't in Florida and it wasn't in the summer. We know that because he went up on the roof to pray. You don't do that here. But it just seems to be true. It's just part of the air that they breathe. Now, it's, it's, it's um, worship, prayer, fasting, and what we consistently see, like we see here. They, we consistently see they do this, and that's the place where they go and hear God speak, just like here. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of the Lord to which I've called them. And that begins a whole new phase of the church's life and mission. But this worship, prayer, and fasting, that's where they go to get connected with the empowerment that makes this possible. They didn't get a text. The Holy Spirit said to them, set apart these people for me. This is what I'm about to do. Now, one of the things I find with with what I consistently read in Acts, at times we could talk about prayer and fasting and, and and this sort of thing, and it becomes such this uber-serious type thing that we talk about, if we're going to pray, we get real serious, and it isn't that at times, like when we're talking about the stuff that's happened to New Zealand, I mean, if you've ever been down there, it's like a small town, this has got to be just devastating that country, there's a time to be really serious, but there's also a time when we gather to just pray, and it, it, it's, it's not just this almost like a dutiful or burdensome thing, praying and fasting. I mean, what I find with the church here, with these descriptions of worship, prayer, and fasting, is these people are drawn to it. It, it isn't like, well, you know, it's about time we should pray. It's like, you know, we only got it until we get this next thing done, and finally it'll be time we'll really gather for prayer. It's, it's something that is just drawn. And I want to say that one of the characteristics Of a spirit filled church is that that, that if you want to talk about it as evidence of a spirit filled church, it's a hunger and thirst to say that's the place where we want to be. Not something that has to be done because this, well, that's what we're supposed to do, or it says there in the Bible we do this stuff. You're doing there because that's the place where you connect to God and that's the place that we want to be. Now, briefly here, I want to talk a little bit about what I see in Acts. And why I think that produces this sort of spirit-filled hunger to be drawn to this place of worship, of prayer, and of fasting. First thing I could say, I want to talk a bit about that, and very simply, five minutes and we'll wrap this up. Partly this happens because if you read the Acts after you read the Gospels, you'll find that's what Jesus was doing. it's interesting, I was looking through some of this and I just got a concordance out and I looked for... Worship, and I look for prayer, and look for fasting, and you know, pulled it up to see where they were in Acts, but I noticed to scroll down to where I got to Acts, I had to get through the Gospels, and it's like, oh, these were the people who were with Jesus; they learned it well. But what I also see here, next, when you and again, when you take the my class on Acts, we'll do this stuff together. What we'll do is we'll compare the preaching. What was their gospel? We'll look at when. Peter preaches in these opening chapters. And then we get on to where Paul is preaching. And we say, what is it that when they preach the gospel, what does Luke tell us they were actually preaching? And what you find consistently is this. Now, we tend to talk about gospel as Jesus died for us, and that's true. But if you read biblically what's there, there's more to it than that. Very true, Jesus died for us. But here's what you find in Acts. Jesus died. God raised him from the dead. Get the right number of fingers up. God enthroned him as Lord. Jesus reigns as Lord. And Jesus has poured out his Holy Spirit on the church, a spirit filled church. And consistently, their gospel has the preaching we find there, no matter who's doing it, has those elements to it. Yes, Jesus died. But if Jesus just dies and that's it, We're cooked. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we're still dead in our sins. The gospel, we see it preached, and it's here, but you can find it elsewhere if you really look through Paul's letters and so on carefully. Jesus died. God raised him. He's enthroned as Lord. He reigns as Lord. And Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit now on his people, on the church. Now, here's what that does. I'm speaking to a room full of people, at least this side. And the brave souls who've, who've ventured over here to folks who have been called, some way, somehow, now hear me, who've been called to play a specific role in what it is that God is doing. Now, I will tell you, you can get positions in a denomination, you can get positions in the church, you may or may not be there in the place where God is actually using you. Had a conversation years ago with Bob Tuttle. Many of you know Tuttle. It's one of the things folks do in this campus. You want to get Tuttleized. So you, you take this course with Bob Tuttle. I was talking with him. And he was actually teaching his course on the theology of the Holy Spirit. And I said, I said, Bob, you could teach that course without praying. And he looked at me like and he was about to take me out. And if you know Bob Tuttle, you may think you better step back because he might do it. And he said, Well, what do you mean? I said, Bob, you could teach that. You know this stuff so well. You could teach it in your sleep. We talked a little bit about that, and he says, yeah, that's true. I do know this stuff. And you know what? But Bob teaching it, it'd be popular, people would be entertained, but no one would be changed. You know, you can fill out the several hard drives full of information it takes to get, you know, a position in your denomination and a position in a church or whatever you're in, if you're in an appointment system, whatever you in. You can go through that. You can find a way to get there. And maybe you can do it in such a way just because you have the personality, people can be entertained and you can be popular and so on. But is God still going to work through you? Are people going to be changed? See, here's the point with the preaching what we find in Acts. Jesus has died. God's raised him from the dead. God has enthroned him as Lord, and he reigns as Lord. That means the power's there, and God's at work all around us. What we need to do is, through the Holy Spirit, get in contact with what God is doing and the way Dr. Wilson and I talk about this, participate in what it is that God's doing. We used to tell people when, uh, when I was a youth pastor a long, long time ago, our goal as a youth ministry, uh, I'm trying to get exactly the way we articulated it, but it was to create self-propelling Christians. Now, what we meant by that is if you get people to the place where they can discover God working through them, they're often gone. Don't have to harp at kids to pray. Don't have to harp at kids about reading their Bible. Any of this kind of stuff. If they can discover the reality of God working through them, they're often running. And we have to chase and catch them half the time. We wanted self propelling Christians. It's what we find here in the book of Acts. They discovered that Jesus just didn't die for them. There was more than that going on. And they were participating in what it was that God was doing. And they couldn't wait. They were drawn to get to the place where they connected with God and what God was doing. When they heard the word from the Lord, when they found empowerment to take part in what it is that God was doing, and they could see God and work through Him, which we see from Acts 1 to Acts chapter 28. There's gospel music, folks. Jesus has died. God's raised him from the dead. God's enthroned him as Lord, and he reigns right now as Lord. And his Holy Spirit has been poured out in church. Now, if you will allow yourself to lay a hold of that gospel so that God, through his Holy Spirit, can lay a hold of you, you can't not dance to that music. May God make us a people who are tuned in, who can hear the Spirit of the Lord, And we dance. We dance to that music. Let's pray together. Father, help create in us by the power of your spirit a people who can hear, a people who hunger and thirst after your Holy Spirit, a people who hunger and thirst after your Holy Spirit because we know, we've experienced that you are a God, that you are good, you are alive and well, and you just deeply desire to work in and through us. May we be a joyful people who just can't wait to dance before you and, and worship in and prayer and fasting because what the desire of our heart is created by the Spirit is to see you at work, to see the blessing of God work through us for the benefit of other people now. Thank you for what you have done, continue to do, and will do now through us, your people, in Jesus' name.